Almighty Father, as we come now to your word uh, and we, we listen to and, and consider a, a really strange story uh, of Jonah uh, and the plant and, and all that, um, Father, we ask that you will, please be our teacher, um, please work in us, please, please grant us to see, perceive, uh, internalize um, precisely what it is that you want us to see and perceive and internalize, but above all, Grant us to see Jesus and, and work in our hearts and change us from the inside out. We, we, we don't want to be left with hard hearts. We want you to make new hearts for us. So do that. Keep doing it. Increase it in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. Uh, and um, it'd be helpful if you turn back to page uh, 9. We'll flip over to 10 as well. But we're continuing uh, in Lent, in the season of Lent. We're continuing uh, in our series in Jonah. And, and we've come to Jonah chapter 4. And I find this a, a really pretty unsettling chapter. I find it a pretty frightening chapter, actually. Uh, I realized, and, and I've always sort of thought this, if I was the editor uh, for Jonah for the manuscript, I would, have, I would have ended it in chapter 3. Because if you end it in chapter 3, it works like a perfect Rocky movie. Um, you, you, you know, so, so in all Rocky movies generally, it, it starts off and he's got promise, right? And then something goes bad. Um, and then he works really hard. And then he comes back and he wins. And everybody likes it. And you just repeat that a bunch of times and you get, you get all the Rocky films. And that's the way Jonah could have worked if you end it in chapter 3, right? So chapter 1, he's got promise, but he runs. Chapter 2, he gets chased down, swallowed by death, but he makes a comeback. And then chapter 3, um, he goes, he preaches to Nineveh. The whole city of Nineveh uh, converts. He's like, you know, rock star, Billy Graham type, amazing, right? And then you could have ended it right there, and it would have been a lovely, lovely story. But the problem is, it doesn't end there. Chapter 4 happens. And chapter 4 isn't just an appendix. It's the point. Or it's very close to the point. And the story that we're looking at today is a kind of... It's kind of a nightmare scenario. What I mean is that if you climb into the Bible's way of looking at the world, this scene is just as frightening as it can get. And here's why I say that. Um, everybody knows, everybody here, right? We're, I'm sure we would all agree that religious hypocrisy is just the worst, right? Uh, in fact, it's one of the most obvious things about uh, religion, about the church that makes people uh, not, not interested and, and not want to not follow Jesus. Uh, and, and those of us who are inside the church know that it just wreaks havoc, just havoc amongst the people of God. And the Bible, it's important that we see that the Bible is not naive about all this. The Bible faces the problem of religious hypocrisy head on in a lot of different ways, but really importantly, in this passage. And here we see Jonah is a religious person <clears throat> whose heart, we find out, is just stone cold towards God. And therefore, as we come to this, every single one of us needs to read this as a warning. There's a profound warning here. And that's the first thing we're going to spend time looking at. But then also, the good news is there's also an invitation. 
Invitation might be too, uh, too weak a word. There's a summons. There's a good news that says, come because the Lord is merciful. So th that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at, first of all, the warning, and it's going to be really scary. And then we're going to look at the invitation, the Lord's summons to mercy. All right, first of all, the warning. Let me catch up the story briefly in case uh, you, you haven't been with us over the last four weeks. Um, you remember the, the, the story of Nineveh. So Nineveh was the uh, capital of the Assyrian Empire. They were a kind of superpower of their day, and they were notoriously awful. They were just terrible. They were wicked. They were unjust. They were cruel. They were kind of the, the ISIS of their day, something like that. Whatever. Fill in the blank with really the, the folks that it's easy to see is really bad. And so God calls Jonah, this prophet from Israel, which has been oppressed by uh, Nineveh and has felt the bite of their injustice. God sends Nineveh to this great city and says, call out against it. Tell them uh, the time's up. God's justice is going to be unleashed upon you. Um, your cruelty is going to stop. God's going to overthrow this city. So Jonah does. Uh, Jonah goes and tells them. But then, but then, and I'm skipping a lot, you know, the whale and stuff, but then verse 10 happens. Look at verse, verse 10, at, right at the top. This is the, uh, chapter 3, verse 10. Um, Nineveh, despite, you know, despite all expectations, Nineveh is struck to the heart by this message. And they renounce their evil and repent. Verse 10, when God saw what Nineveh did, how through the preaching of Jonah they turned from their evil way, God relented from the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he didn't do it. Now, then the camera angle shifts, kind of swings from the city, and all these terrible, terrible injustice, and then the city that's not going to get judged. The camera angle swings then to Jonah. And here's Jonah, he's sitting outside the city, sitting on a hill, waiting for the fire to come. And he's sitting there looking at a city that deserved it, that had it coming. I mean, they're the worst. And then he begins to realize that it's not going to happen, that God's not going to go through with it, that God relented, that the Ninevites are going to get away from it, or get away with it. And Jonah just flips his lid. He just goes crazy. Now, pause there for a second. It's easy for us, isn't it? It's easy for we look at it, we look at petulant little tantruming awful prophet, right? And we're kind of supposed to. However, however, consider for yourself whatever cultural opponent really gets under your skin. Right? Every time you turn on the news, or whatever it is. Is it in your family? Is it when you turn on the news? Is it within the nation? Is it outside the nation? Who is it that when you hear about this group, it just, they're the reason this country is the way it is, or they're the reason this world's gonna, whatever. They're the reason my family doesn't work, whatever it might be. Who is that person that really gets you? Now keep that in mind, and you might have a little bit of sympathy for Jonah. Don't have too much sympathy, okay? But, but just let that float over here and we'll come back to it. Who's your cultural opponent? All right. But there's more going on here. It's not just, or even primarily, that Jonah is looking at the Ninevites and saying they had it coming and now it's not going to happen. There's something more 
deep and even more sinister happening within his heart. Look at verse 2 and notice what he thinks of the Lord. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my own country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Now, he's a very dramatic man, Jonah. But look at how he describes the Lord. This is very important. He says, you are a, and note the words, you are gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now, I point that out because those words, verbatim, nearly, is uh, one of the primary ways of describing the Lord's character all the way through the Old Testament. So it starts in Exodus. Um, God rescues Israel from Egypt. Israel doesn't really know much about who God is. And so God introduces himself to Israel. And one of the ways God introduces himself to Israel is he says, well, my name's the Lord and I'm gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's just, that's part of the intro. And then that line or something very similar to it gets repeated time and again throughout the Old Testament. In fact, when everything goes bad for Israel, this is one of the, um, this is the character of God is what gives Israel hope. So for instance, in uh, Joel, Joel uses the precise same words as Jonah. Joel says, Israel, we've totally messed everything up, but there's hope. You know why there's hope, Israel? There's hope because our Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents from disaster. It's exactly what he says. So the Lord's character in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, especially his mercy, is Israel's anchor, uh, hope, security, joy. And, and it wasn't just for the nation, it was personal for Jonah, right? Remember, Jonah was fish bait? And he had it coming? And the Lord was gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and made the fish kind of like a submarine and vomited him out. It's a weird story. And yet, and yet, here's Jonah. No one has experienced the Lord's mercy more fully than Jonah, more personally than Jonah. And here Jonah looks at the Lord, specifically his mercy, and he says, you repulse me. Death is a better friend than you are, Lord. And this is when it gets frightening. Because you remember in chapter 1, do you remember why Jonah ran or what Jonah was running from? Jonah wasn't running from Nineveh. In chapter 1, Jonah was running, we, we pointed this out, he was running from the presence of the Lord. It was personal. He didn't like the Lord. And then everything happens in the middle. And then we get here to the end. And this is what's frightening. Is he still running from the presence of the Lord? He doesn't like the Lord. It's not just racism. It's not just nationalism. Though it is both of those things. But underneath both of those things, there's this deeper reality of here is a heart who is repulsed by the Lord. And the reason that's so frightening is that here we've got Jonah 
who has all through this story been running from the Lord toward, in chapter 2, it's called Sheol, death, hell. And he's still there. He's still running. You know, um, all through the Bible, the, whenever it describes heaven, it's all, there's always a party going on. There's always joy. And, and you, know, the, you know the main thing that triggers the, the joy of heaven? I can show you this in a bunch of places. The joy of heaven is triggered by rehearsing the Lord's mercy. Again and again. Do you, you may remember in, in the New Testament, when one sinner repents, heaven throws a party. Why? Mercy. In the book of Revelation, uh, everybody goes, the crowd goes wild when they see the lamb who has ransomed people who don't deserve to be ransomed and has brought them into the kingdom. Mercy makes heaven full of joy. But here's Jonah, and he hates mercy. And therefore, even when he's in the presence of God, and when if he were to be in heaven, he would find it torturous and repulsive. He's a man whose heart is running towards hell, and that's the thing that's so frightening. And here's the question that we've got to ask ourselves, right? Do you love the Lord's mercy? Do you love it? I didn't ask, do you believe in it? Do you love it? And now let me turn a little bit. Do you love mercy towards whoever your cultural opponent is? In your family? The tribe on the news that drives you crazy? Whatever other nation, maybe? I don't know. What is it? What is it for you? Do you love mercy? Hearing stories of mercy, of people meeting Jesus and being transformed and not getting what they deserve. Do you love that? And if we don't, and if I look in my heart and I don't, then I've got to ask a very sober question. And the sober question that I've got to ask is, is there hope if I have a Jonah-like heart? Because what can change a heart like that that is repulsed by the mercy of God? Okay, so that's the warning. Now, Let's look at the good news. Let's look at the, the invitation. Because the really good news in the story of Jonah is that Jonah is not the hero. Please, thank the Lord, Jonah's not the hero. The Lord's the hero. And in this story, the Lord's mercy simply will not give up on Jonah. So here's Jonah, hating the Lord and his mercy. And how does the Lord respond here? The Lord responds the same way he responded in chapter 1. In chapter 1, he pursues Jonah when Jonah runs. Here, he pursues him again, though differently. He asks these questions. These questions that try to take Jonah's hard heart and begins to soften it and turn it and be, tries to show Jonah that loving the Lord's mercies is just better. So let me show you how that works. Um, do you notice the questions that the Lord asks? First question, I think it's in verse 4. He says, um, Jonah, are, are you right to be angry? So Jonah's pitching a fit, just screaming and yelling and hitting the ground. And, and the Lord comes very calmly towards him. Kind of, if you've ever interacted with a toddler, you know what you have to do. Everything calms down. And, and, and the Lord says, Jonah, look at your heart. How's your heart? Pause. Ask yourself that question all the time because the Lord's asking you that question. But then very quickly, he moves on. He gets Jonah thinking about his own heart. Now, Jonah doesn't buy it. He goes, no, my, my heart's great. I'm fine. But then the Lord moves on. 
And the Lord has this interaction with the plant, right? Bizarre. So he allows a plant to grow and shade Jonah. And there's kindness there, isn't there? The Lord's just being kind, merciful to Jonah. But then the Lord orchestrates the plant's death. The worm, the sun, kills the plant. And Jonah just goes nutty again. Now, what's going on there? Is the Lord just playing with Jonah? You know, teasing him? No. He's being very kind. It's an act of mercy. So what he's allowing Jonah to do is he's, he's saying, Jonah, let me show you something that you love. You love something that lasts for 24 hours. And all through this story, the plant's the only thing that Jonah loves. Well, Jonah probably loves himself. But besides himself, Jonah only loves this 24-hour plant. The Lord says, let me show you what happens when your heart loves something that is going to come and is going to go. And so in the Lord's mercy with this plant, he sort of allows Jonah to see the trajectory of his heart in fast forward. It's as if he's saying, Jonah, okay, you, you don't love me. I get that. Let me show you, what do you love? Well, you love a plant, something that gives you comfort. Brilliant. Okay, now... What happens when you lose that thing that you love more than you love me? Jonah, what happens? See, the cruelty of a heart that hates God or the cruelty of a heart that loves something else more than God is whatever it, else, whatever it is that we love more than God, it's going to fade over time because it's not eternal. It's going to fade. It's going to fade and fail us. And then if we have loved this thing that's not God more than anything else, if this is what it is that has given us meaning, and then we lose it, where are we going to be? It's the cruelty of what we call idols. Loving something else more than loving God. And so in the Lord's mercy, he says, Jonah, I'm going to show you the trajectory of your heart. I'm going to show you what happens if you continue on the path that you're on. What's going to happen is you're going to have a moment where you're going to feel comfortable and it's going to be fine. It's going to seem fine. But then it's going to die. Your career is going to die. Where where, where do you find meaning? Um, Family, career, uh, uh, your dreams and aspirations, your hopes for the future, whatever it might be, good things in themselves, but they will all of them fade, if for no other reason, because you will fade. And so Jonah allows, or the Lord allows Jonah to feel that. And then, when Jonah see, is beginning to see where his heart, his hard heart is going to lead him, then the Lord comes with verse 11. He says, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? I love that. Do, 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 you see what he does? He says, he says Jonah, you love this plant and it's going to die. And then where, where's that going to leave you? On the other hand, isn't it right for me to have mercy? And, and the implication there is Jonah isn't it right for you to love my mercy? Because if anything is going to last eternally, it's the Lord's mercy. Jonah, can't you see that my mercy is worth loving? 
that my mercy is kinder than your heart is, that my mercy is the one thing that won't die like a plant. Can you see why it's right that I love showing mercy to even people like Nineveh and Jonah, even people like you? Can you see, God says, why my mercy is even more beautiful than anything else that you can love. And then the Lord comes back and says, and okay, if you can't buy mercy to the Ninevites, how about the cows? Can you at least, can we at least agree that loving cows might have some benefit in it? You know, the Lord's very kind. He's bringing Jonah around step by step. This is how the Lord works in your life, by the way. This is what the Lord wants to do in your life. He wants to take our hard hearts that wants to live for ourselves, that attaches to things that are ultimately temporary. They don't feel temporary when we're attaching our hearts to them, but they will be. And the Lord comes to us, and over the course of, his life, of our lives, the Lord is saying, how's your heart? What do you love? Is it going to take you to a good place? Won't you love my mercy instead? Or more than? Because you love my mercy, you'll get everything else that really matters in life and it will never fail, and it will increase, and you will join in the joy of heaven so that when you get into heaven, you'll be joined with a joy that is your deepest animating joy. And this is the reason why we find Jesus so compelling. See, Jesus is the Lord. In Jesus, we get to see the face of the one who is gracious, and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And we get to see the extent to which he'll go to, to live out that mercy when he hangs upon the cross, when he hangs upon the cross. And who put him on the cross? People like Jonah. People who looked at Jesus and his mercy, particularly to the outsider and to the, those who they didn't think deserved it, and said, I'm repulsed by you, and therefore I'm going to put you up on the cross. Those, it was Jonah that put Jesus up upon the cross, and there Jesus is on the cross, absorbing their Jonah heart, and absorbing the hell that they were preferring in that moment so that they could be liberated from it. The Lord Jesus Christ is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he is gracious, and he is merciful. And who else should we live for? If we're going to live for anybody, why not live for him? What else could we live for better than him? And what else is worth trusting than him? And so for the Christian here, the Christian, the, the question comes like this. Do you love the Lord's mercy? Do you eat mercy every day for your daily bread? And then do you love mercy extended. See, when the Holy Spirit is really working in your heart, one of the ways you'll know that is you'll hear stories of mercy being extended to people who you have good reason to hate, and instead of being, you'll go, yes! If that's happening in your heart, rejoice. If that's not happening in your heart, say, Lord Jesus, I've got a, a Jonah heart. Work in me and change me until I am passionate about your mercy being extended to people whom I have good reason to hate. And if the, to them, then to everybody in between. And if you're just considering Jesus, if, if, like if you're not bought in yet, we're delighted you're here. Thank you so much. Don't let us get away with anything. But let me just ask you this question. What else 
is more valuable than mercy? What else is more precious than mercy that lasts eternally? What kind of God could there be that's better than a God who in mercy would give his life to ransom you? And let me just say, we want to walk with you and help you see this Jesus. He's changed our lives. And I just want to say, he, he wants to pour out that mercy in you. Amen? Amen.